So I tell people that, you know, I use everything I've ever learned in this job because there's just such a wide variety of things that we're faced with in, in running companies. Mm-hmm. You know, from sales, managing people, the technology itself, finance, you know, all of those things, you know, fundamental leadership, problem solving, conflict resolution. I mean, just go down the list and all the things that you've been exposed to and your college courses and and whatever you've done previously, you will absolutely use as an entrepreneur. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and our next guest is Hugh Campbell, the co-founder of AC4S Technologies, a tech support company based in Tampa Bay, Florida. Hugh has launched five companies and is a seasoned entrepreneur in the technology space. In today's episode, Hugh and I discuss topics like the importance of surrounding yourself with the right team, learning from failure, and why you should always read contracts before you sign. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hugh, thank you for joining us on InFactor. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So as we were just talking about, it's a really busy time of year and especially busy for you. You're the president and you were the co-founder of a company called AC4S Technologies. And yeah, I'd like to start, I guess, by getting a little bit of a background on what that company is all about, what you do, you know, for your customers and clients and how and why you started it. Sure. So AC4S Technologies is the most recent company that we're, we're running. It is a tech support business. We are essentially, we started this company to go back to our roots of doing pure IT things because in the last company we had, we, we were doing all kinds of crazy things that was not necessarily IT. So we help businesses, nonprofits, academia with their technology needs. And as you can imagine right now, it's pretty busy because of the pandemic and, and the fact that everybody's working remotely and and all that that entails. So we've been very busy. Yeah. How many years have you been doing this particular company? Well, we started the company in an effort to diversify out of the federal sector. So we started that. We started the company about seven years ago, quite honestly. I hired two different leaders to run the business. Didn't work out. And so I had to jump in myself to save our investment and turn this thing around. And we've done, we've done that over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's been, I think I read some pretty exciting news. You've got a big, you're back in the working, <laughs> working for the government, right? You got a big uh, contract. Well, no, I mean, the company we, the last company we sold was a strictly federal sector. Mm-hmm. This company is no government work at no all. No government work. Strictly private sector. We've been busy and we've been uh, growing and it's good. Good, good for you. Well, so let's talk just a little bit about what that means, IT needs. What kinds of things do you do and what impact has remote learning, I mean, remote as an educator, I'm thinking about remote learning, but what impact has this remote work movement had? And also, you know, just the fact that we're doing a lot more, you know, we were already doing a lot of commerce online, but we're already, we're doing a lot more. So, you know, I think there's, 
tremendous opportunity. What kinds of things do you do? And, and maybe even a little bit about what do you think we can expect in 2021? Because I know a lot of companies are making, you know, not really expecting to bring everybody back. Right, right, right. So we typically help businesses with a wide array of their technology needs. So, and the the simple thing that people see and can relate to is an outsourced help desk. Hey, I need my password reset. I need X, I need Y, I need Z. So so we help those companies with their day-to-day technology needs. We sell them hardware. We sell software. We help them migrate to the cloud, use cloud-based applications, make all of those things work in a smooth and seamless fashion. What is a big deal is the cybersecurity. So, you know, there isn't a day that goes by that there's not some cybersecurity incident somewhere. And so we help keep our customers safe with a variety of means. And then what's really been a big deal the last, I don't know, probably year or so is that there are a number of requirements and compliance requirements in cybersecurity. We're spending a lot of time with our aerospace and defense customers because they've got new requirements to become compliant if they're going to do work for the Pentagon. So we've been helping helping them. And then lastly, we we spend a lot of time with smart buildings. So Tampa is very fortunate. We have a lot of new construction going on. And if you're going to build a new building, You want that building connected and wired and just really on the cusp of technology and you want to future-proof it. So we spend a fair amount of time helping our customers with intelligent buildings and integrating all the pieces and parts that make it a smart building. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of new systems, I guess, and new techniques because it's got to change. I mean, as fast as, as fast as you figure out how to protect something, you've got somebody else out there figuring out how to hack into it, right? So, Absolutely. So there's a lot to do there. I was reading about something called zero trust access networks versus VPNs. Is that something, somehow companies, I guess, are going to be moving to more secure remote access, right? And that's probably a, something big. And so one of the things when I mentioned earlier about working back for the government, I had read something about a project with the with moving the data for the CIA onto the cloud. Is that something you did in your past? Or so that really was oh geez, it's been about six or seven years ago now. That was really kind of the catalyst for this particular company. You know, probably seven or eight years ago. A lot of organizations weren't convinced that they could move their hardware and their software applications into the cloud. And the CIA led a contract with Amazon Web Services, AWS, you've probably seen their commercials. Sure. Sure. To start using, so the, the CIA could start using AWS and Amazon's cloud. And to me, that was, and for many, that was a a watershed event because if the CIA could trust outsourcing some of their requirements Mm -hmm. to a cloud-type environment, there's no company on the planet that can say, well, we can't do that. Well, the CIA just did it. So, So that was really the catalyst for us to move 
in that direction to help our customers migrate to the cloud. We used to do quite a bit of that work. Now, really what we're doing is we're migrating. We We help our customers migrate from one cloud service provider to another. Microsoft is obviously huge. There's a lot of Google Cloud applications. Gmail is a Google Cloud application. So we spend more of our time now helping our customers migrate from one cloud to another cloud. Fascinating. Well, it's very complex. You know, we have a cybersecurity program at our university, it's University of Tampa. And I know there's going to be lots of opportunity for entrepreneurs out there who are interested in taking those skills and and doing what you've done. So it's really great to have you here talking about your experience. You've started and successfully sold, I think I read, five companies, three of which you've sold. And the most recent one you sold in 2018, which I think you already mentioned, that makes you what we call a serial entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into entrepreneurship as a start? Is this something you always wanted to do? And, And so how did those companies evolve over the years and what led you to entrepreneurship? So I tell people that I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I was in the military got out of the military and came and went to go work for a company here in in Tampa. It was a billion dollar telecommunications organization. And I was working in the engineering department, having fun, having a blast. And my boss was leaving the company and he was going to a startup company. And he ultimately now is the worldwide infrastructure guy for Google. So he's, he's pretty busy. Nice. Lives in Sweden. But anyway, he was leaving. And so I went to my senior vice president and said, hey, I'd like that job. And I was told that I was too young. Mm-hmm. And I, naturally, I was very disappointed by that. Well, everybody in the company knew I was going to get that job. They just knew I was getting that job. And when word got out that, that I did not get that job and they were placing somebody else in that position, I was approached by several people that said, hey, we're leaving the company. We've teamed up with some venture capitalists out of New York City. We need someone to help lead the engineering effort for this new company. Are you interested? Naturally, I said yes. That started me down my entrepreneurial path. The great news was doing it for the first time with venture capitalists gave us the opportunity to learn a lot, quite honestly, on somebody else's done. Right. So we ended up selling that company. The venture capitalists sold that company because they're driven by return on investment. But we learned a lot during the process. And I knew that I couldn't go back into a corporate environment not setting the strategic direction, not doing all of those things of leading the organization. So we've, the last few companies we've done with our own money and started and grown and sold, as we said, three of them over time. The last one was the biggest, most complex deal. And so, you know, it's been quite the learning experience. Absolutely. We talk about that all the time with our students that entrepreneurship's about learning you just kind of show up every day and it's going <laughs> to, you're going to be taught a lot, right? Yeah. That, well, that's a great story. So were all of those businesses in this related space of what, you know, what you're doing now, or have you ventured outside of the tech area? 
So, yeah, they've all been technology related. My degree is in engineering management. And then my minor is in electrical engineering. So managing technical people and electrical engineering is, you know, the foundation for many things in the the tech world. My master's degree is in telecommunications management. So I tell people that, you know, I use everything I've ever learned in this job because there's just such a wide variety of things that we're faced with in in running companies, Mm -hmm. you know, from sales managing people, the technology itself, finance, you know, all of those things, you know, fundamental leadership, problem solving, conflict resolution. I mean, just go down the list and all the things that you've been exposed to and your college courses and, and whatever you've done previously, you will absolutely use as an entrepreneur. And, you know, I tell people, you can run off and do something that you've never done before, but your chances of success, you know, it becomes much more difficult if you're doing things you're not familiar with. If you look at it, some of the most successful entrepreneurs are those people that have gone into corporate, they've learned the business, they've made the contacts, they have the relationships, they understand X, Y, and Z about that particular industry, and then they turn around and they capitalize on it and they monetize their experience, their, their network, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty rare for somebody to come straight out of school and say, I've got this idea and go off and become Facebook and Amazon and all those other things. You know, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty rare. The folks that generally do the best are the folks that are monetizing and capitalizing on their experience, their network, their relationships, et cetera. Yeah, I love that. And I love hearing you say it. And I'm hoping a lot of my students hear this because uh, this is what we talk about a lot. And I've seen it as well. Students that were good students and they really wanted to be entrepreneurs. They wanted to start a company, but they just didn't have the you know experience and the background and the knowledge yet. And they go out and work a few years and they come back and they're able, you know, they come back and they say, I want to start this company. You know, we, we talk about it as being probably a combination of three things, who you are, you know, what you're passionate about, what you know, and that's what you talked about and who, you know, again, you mentioned, so who you are, what you know, and who, you know, so, so when you are, and, and that's, that kind of relates, that kind of takes me to, there were a lot of, good things in there. I love loved your response to that, but it kind of takes me to this whole space around entrepreneurial opportunities for the student that's out there listening. And they're in that, they're like, you know, they're excited about entrepreneurship. They want to be entrepreneurs, but they don't yet know what to do, but they're fascinated and interested in this whole space that you're in. What kind of opportunities do you see out there? And how do you recognize opportunities and any advice for them along that line? Well, yeah. So a couple of points. Let me, if you don't mind, I just want to back up because sure. stuff, if you have an idea and you want to, you know, go change the world, right? You know, you're going to need money. You're going to need capital, right? And there's a bunch of different ways to do that. But in the final analysis, what I have seen over many years is if someone's going to invest in your idea, first off, you have to convince them it's a great idea. 
But right behind it, they want to know what's the chances of success that this idea is going to get done and that the chances of success is based upon who's running the show. You know, have you done it before? Have you assembled a team? Have you raised capital? Have you executed on a plan that you've given to the investors? They want to know those questions. Your chance, the, the chances of them getting their money back <laughs> plus some extra, because that's why they're investing. They want their original money back plus extra. The chances of that happening with someone who's done it before, who's assembled a team, who's raised capital and executed on a plan, you know, that's why those entrepreneurs that have done it before are in such high demand and they command significant salaries and a structure in the equity of the company that other people can't get because they've done it successfully before. So, but the opportunities are boundless. This is a great country and, you know, you can do a lot here. And if you're willing to work hard, take the risks, there's very little that can't happen here in the United States of America. So, I mean, there's opportunities everywhere. What we found, though, too, is that there are very few new ideas. The difference is, are you able to execute and deliver on those ideas? That's, you know, a perfect example. There was a car company called Fisker. Fisker had the most beautiful electric cars, hybrid cars, and arguably much better looking than Tesla's, but they didn't make it. They had a a great product, beautiful product, but the company itself didn't make it. Why? Because the lead design guy, he, he could design beautiful cars, but he couldn't run a company. Tesla, lots of opinions about what those cars look like, but guess what? Through lots of hard work, they've been able to deliver thousands and thousands and thousands of cars. Is it a better business model than Fisker? No. Were they able to execute it? Yes. Yeah. Great, great advice. It is at the end of the day, it's about who executes and how they execute, right? Because a lot of people walk around with great ideas and never, ever act on them. So I love that. That's really, really good advice. You mentioned earlier a lot of things that you learned in school, which again was music to my ears. It's good to hear that <laughs> that a former student is remembering something from school because that's what where I've dedicated my my life, life's work. But you mentioned leadership and you mentioned building team. I'd like to dive into that a little bit more. I read, I think, on your website that your advice to aspiring entrepreneurs is to read Jim Collins' book, Good to Great and get the right people on the bus at the right time. So tell me a little bit more about your philosophy there. I think it's, you know, I think it, it is, I tend to agree with you that it usually comes down to people and that, that goes back to your execution example. But talk to us about that book and why you think that's so important for entrepreneurs. Well, so I've never started a company by myself. I've always had partners. Why? First off, you know, there's simply only 24 hours in a day. (laughs) And it's hard to work in the business 
whatever that business is, while simultaneously working on the business. So it's usually a team sport. And as a team sport, if you're the head coach, you have to assemble the winning team. I often use the football as an example because I love football, but there's other examples. But you, ha- you have a certain amount of money available to you, and you have draft choices. You're going to need somebody in sales. You're going to need somebody in marketing. You're going to need somebody to run the books. You're going to need somebody to do whatever it is that you, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, or a technologist, you're going to need people to do and lead the operational aspect of the business. So it's not like you have unlimited money. (laughs) So you're going to have to make draft choices and assemble the team that's most effective for the amount of money that you got available to you that's going to deliver on the executing the plan. The Jim Collins book, Good to Great, talks about assembling the right team of people, putting them on the bus, and then at times you're going to have to get people off of the bus because they're not the right people, and it's not personal, but they're just not the right person for the team. I often say, you're going to have to go be successful someplace else. (laughs) Yep. And then once you've assembled that team, you want to put them in the right seat on the bus. And then that bus can go anywhere that you want it and need it to go. So that's why I talk about, I strongly recommend that book. It's how I, I run all of the companies I've started. I'll tell you this, this particular company, we've had to do some redos. You know, there, there was a point where I had to get a lot of people off the bus and start over. You know, I'm actually kind of proud of that, you know, being agile enough to recognize we needed to make some changes. We needed to uh, change the business plan. And once we, we tweaked those things, away we went. And we've been rocking and rolling ever since. So yeah, I'm sure that, that that's, it's not easy, is it, when you have to make those changes? But they can be life-changing, really, for not only the company, but for the people. Because getting people in the right spot sometimes means those tough decisions because they need to find something somewhere else. So, But it's very painful a lot of times. Let me just jump in and say that the other tough lesson for entrepreneurs is the people that you started with may not be the people you're going to end with because as the business grows, as the business morphs and changes, It's going to require different skill sets. A company with a million dollars of revenue has different requirements than a company of $10 million in revenue and $100 million in revenue. And some of those people you start with will be there and grow with you. 
and some may not make the cut. And as the leader of the organization who's trying to fulfill your dream and your vision, it's incumbent upon you at times to say, perhaps you're not the right person to be on this bus in that seat. I'm glad you brought that up. That is, I interviewed, I had a friend, I lived in Cincinnati before I moved here. I had a friend who had a really successful insurance company and she had a right-hand person that was with her from day one that fell into that same situation. And when I asked her what was the hardest thing about her 20-year journey before she sold the company, she said that was it, that that right-hand person that had been with her from day one and been through all the ups and downs when the company reached a point that she wasn't the right fit anymore. That was probably the most painful experience she'd ever had. Right. Yep. I don't make this stuff up. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know it's good stuff to know, and but something to be prepared for, I think. And that's one of the valuable things about hearing the stories of others, because even though you you know it doesn't take a lot of the pain and the hard work away it can help you remember that there are other people going through the same thing and help inspire you you've managed tons of employees and you know hundreds of them throughout your years and what is the most important lesson you've learned about effective leadership and management well i think there's a couple of points first and foremost it's incumbent upon the leader to set the goal, the vision, or whatever, so that people can rally behind that. You know, what is it that we're doing? I tell my folks here that, you know, we want to provide world-class tech support. And that's our objective all day, every day, world-class tech support. So I think it's incumbent that the leader sets the vision of the goals. And then right behind that is you have to be very clear in your communications about what's going on. You know, in the absence of information, people will make stuff up. <laughs> so you might as well, you might as well have an effective communications plan. Talk about where you're trying to go. Talk about your standards. It wasn't very long ago that one of my folks asked me if, if we should delay telling a customer something or other. I, I don't remember exactly what it was that clearly would have been to our benefit. And my response when everyone was watching was, you know, I understand that, but that's not the kind of company we are. We don't do those kinds of things. And, you know, it's incumbent that you as the leader set the standard. You know, the culture is important. And if, you know, if you're a, whatever the culture is, you need to communicate that. And for us, it's doing a great job because we want to be known for doing a great job. And we don't, lie and cheat and all those things. And, you know, there are sticky situations. Absolutely. Things come up. But, you know, if you go to your customer and you're honest with them and you explain the deal, most of the time it's going to work out. 
yeah, occasionally you'll get kicked in the teeth. And, you know, those are the lessons you learn. But we just think it's, it's best to just set the tone of what your expectations are. And, and leaders need to communicate that. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Somebody once gave me advice that bad news is kind of like a banana. It's only going to get more ripe. So it's better. <laughs> you know, that's been a problem having been on a number of boards for early stage companies, especially those funded by investors. Yep. Keeping news from those people, the bad news especially, is one of the worst yeah. things that you can do. And Absolutely. customers are the same. But it's hard. It's really hard sometimes to deal with that and to fess up and face that. But that makes, you know, leaders have to, as you're saying, leaders have to really embody the vision and, and live that if they want their employees to do the same. And I will tell you that nobody expects everything to be perfect all the time. That's just never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. Stuff happens, right? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. you know, get on with it. Get over that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about teams. We're talking about people. How important is it? You know, what's your philosophy about building teams and do your, do your employees work in teams and how does that, is that an important part of what you do? Well, so again, there's nothing more important, I think, than building the right team and realize that the people you put in place will ultimately have to build their teams as subordinate leaders. So that's why it's so, so important to get that first group to be the right group because they're going to go hire. They're going to be the hiring managers. They're going to run their departments. And you got to get that first group right. Again, going back to my football analogy, there is nothing more important as the head coach than building the right team of players. But guess what? He's got to, that football coach has got to have an offensive coordinator. He's got to have a defensive coordinator. He needs a special teams guy. You know, he needs a strength and conditioning coach. He needs a great personnel team that can work the contracts and, and all the idiosyncrasies of the salary cap and all of those, you know, so you can't do it all yourself. You know, are you the best person to do sales? Are you the best person to do the finances and the books? Are you the best person to do, well, keep naming it, right? So you need to have a team of people that can do those things. It's your job to get the right people in place, lead them properly to the promised land. That makes a lot of sense. And it's it's all about, I love the analogy of getting the first, that first team right, because then it just, if you get that right, then they're going to get the additional teams that they're building right. And it just continues. It's all part of that culture. You know, one of the things we talk about in entrepreneurship classes is failure. And mm -hmm. it's really interesting because, you know, I've been concerned at times about the resilience of some of our students and their abilities to deal with failure because my, at least in my life, almost everything I've ever done successfully has come with some failures along the way. And so I wonder if you'd talk about that a little bit. Have you had any failures during your entrepreneurial journey that 
have had an impact on you? And what have you learned from those about failure? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, if you're not failing at some point, then you're not doing anything. (laughs) That's what my mom always told me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it just comes with the territory. I mean, as I said, nothing is ever 100% perfect all the time. You know, I actually invested in a company, a startup company that was doing some international work. And the young man had a great plan. But when he first got into some tough patch, he wanted to fold up shop. And I, I told him, you know, don't, don't, don't give up so easily. You know, it's not going to be a straight path to success. We worked on him and counseled for a little bit. And ultimately, he decided to fold the company and came back to the United States and was going to restart the company here. And he, what he recognized, it was going to take five years to get done and replicate what he was able to do in about a year overseas. And it was a tough lesson. It was mm-hmm. a tough lesson. You know, I lost my investment. <laughs> Not everything works out, you know, so it's a risk you take, but it was just an example of, you know, stay the course. It's not going to be a straight line to success. Even in this company, you know, when I had to, we had to do a restart, you know, I had a reminder that I wrote down on a, a little sticky pad. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, we needed to give up on what we were doing at that particular moment And the people that were executing on it or failing to execute, quite honestly, but we knew we we had the right concepts, the right ideas. We just needed to tweak it, make adjustments, get the right people. And we haven't looked back. And it was hard. It was hard cleaning house, but we did it. You know, we're we're all the better for it. And don't be afraid of it. Some people out in Silicon Valley will tell you to fail fast so that you don't waste precious resources of time and money. I think that is true. Get beyond what's not working to the thing that works. If you want to call that failure, okay, you can call it failure. I I call it tweaking, adjusting, whatever. You know, we didn't have the right business plan when we started this company. We changed it. That's how it works. (laughs) We didn't have the right people running this company and executing on it. So we changed it. Yeah, that's great advice. Very good advice. And I think it's a mistake for entrepreneurs to avoid failing early on, because like you said, those early, you know, failing earlier means you're figuring out what's not working. I think it was Thomas Edison, right? With his light bulb. So same philosophy (laughs) there. Exactly. You mentioned how important school was to you, but I don't think you studied entrepreneurship during those years, probably a lot of business. (laughs) If you were a student now and, you know, before you got started, what do you wish you'd known about entrepreneurship before you started your first company? Oh, geez. I will tell you one of the things that's been an eye opening experience is government regulations. There's a lot of rules that tell you how to run your business. And it's like, well, you know, you'll have, you'll have somebody walk in your office and say, well, we can't do that. It's like, why? Well, because of this, because of that, because it's like, well, it's my company. So I think that's probably been the biggest surprise. You know, there's all kinds of labor laws and, you know, you're trying to do a good thing and, and, you know, do 401ks and health benefits. And there's so many rules and, 
well, you can't do that. You can't do this. You got to do it. This, that's probably been the biggest surprise in the whole process. But, you know, it comes with the territory and you just got to learn to get the right people to work it. You give them the guidance. Hey, here's what I'm trying to get done. This is my concept. How do we get it done within the confines of X, Y, and Z? So I think that's probably one of the biggest things. The other thing that I kind of didn't appreciate is how much you have to read. My personal opinion is if you're going to be successful, you need to be reading stuff. So I don't care if it's a a contract, you know, perfect story. The last company we had, we landed this contract with a a billion dollar organization very early on, very early on. And they sent us a contract, which later turned into an eight year deal. Millions and millions of dollars we make. So I'm reading through the contract and it was horrible. It's like, It was written such that the big company wins in every turn and it sucks to be me. And I got to a couple of paragraphs that I just could not stomach. So after a day or so, I just picked up the phone and called the lady out in California. And I said, you know, I understand about this. I understand about this, but there's there's a couple of things that I just would like to talk to you about. (laughs) and I said, here's a paragraph that I really struggle with. And she said, she said to me, you guys are going to do okay. I was like, what do you mean? Well, you guys, A, are actually reading the contract. Most people, small companies in particular, just sign it and send it right back. We'll take that paragraph out. We're just trying to figure out who's reading the contracts. Wow. Wow. What a lesson in that. I was like, wow. And I said, okay, there's one more. She said, we'll take that one out too. Shocking. Shocking. I could not believe she told me that story. That's such great advice. What's that old saying? The devil's in the details, right? (laughs) And, and, you know, we we all sign contracts constantly. Every time we're online buying something or, you know, our telephones, our computers, our software we download, all of our apps, my husband's an attorney, so thankfully I have somebody <laughs> at home to read read the contracts for me. <laughs> but you're right, it's so important. And I would tell you, whenever you whenever you get a particularly the tech companies, you know, the end user license agreement. Yeah. Right? When you just say click okay, if you go back and you read that thing, it tells you how they're going to what data they're going to collect on you and how they're going to use it, who they're going to sell it to. It's usually all in there, but nobody reads it. Yeah, exactly. And then then everybody complains when all their data is everywhere, but they've signed it away. Exactly. And and sometimes I guess we don't have a choice if we want to play in that space and use those products. But at the end of the day, that's such great advice. And even just paying attention to what's going on in the world around us, you know, we sometimes get get isolated from everything. Of course, 2020 has been a year that I think has reminded everybody that they have to pay attention to what's going on around them. It's been, it's been a really challenging year. And as we talked about early on, all these changes have created not only a lot of pain and heartache for people, but on the other side, a lot of opportunities. So entrepreneurs have a lot of problems they can solve with businesses. 
Hugh, this has been fantastic. I know you've got other things to do, but so many great words of wisdom that you shared already. But I like to end the podcast, my podcast, with asking that question. If there was just one piece of advice that our listeners could leave this podcast with, what would that be? What would you, what kind of, what advice would you give to aspiring and practicing entrepreneurs? If you just had one piece of advice, I know that's tough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many, but, you know, strong, positive leadership, strong, positive leadership can generally solve most problems. You know, there may be some ugliness and all this other stuff, but if you're a strong, positive leader, things will work out okay. That's great. Great advice. And so where can our listeners find out more about you, your business, perhaps even connect with you? Sure. Obviously, I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a great thing. And then, you know, for our organization, our company that we're currently running at the moment, ac4stechnologies.com is a great start. Sounds great. Hugh, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. It was great. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor. Factor.